no, today's good. Today we're wrapping up a series that we started at the very beginning of January called Whatever You Do, Don't. Whatever you do, don't. And I know that that sounds negative, right? It's a big don't, that's not good. But it's not, it's meant to be positive. The idea is really simple, we have freedom. God has given us freedom. We often think about God as someone who restricts freedom. Very often religion teaches us that following God is like walking a tightrope. You, know, you better not mess up, right? Whatever you do, do not take one step left, one step right, if you do, it's all over. That is not God. And we know that because look at stories like the Garden of Eden. That's God's will on the earth, his pure will, no sin, we haven't messed anything up yet. And in the garden, there was one tree they were told not to eat from, and everything else was fair game. God says, hey, eat freely, do whatever you want. Enjoy this amazing paradise I've created, enjoy the freedom I'm giving you. Oh, but just don't eat from that one tree. Success is not so much about walking a tightrope as it's about just avoiding the major pitfalls. But as people, we're pretty good at finding the pitfalls. We're good at it, we have a knack for it. And so here we are at the very beginning of a year and the idea here is look, whatever you do, whatever choices you make, whatever things you decide to prioritize, great, go for it, have fun. Live your life this year, do, do great things. You have freedom, enjoy it. Oh, but whatever you do, just don't do some of these things. It'll mess everything up. We've been exploring that all month long and today we're gonna wrap it up with a very simple but difficult one that just simply says whatever you do, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's easy, right? Just don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. No, there's all kinds of things to be afraid of. We are very familiar with fear. Like as a society, we actually celebrate fear. We celebrate it, we do. And I'm not saying this to like dunk on society or anything like that, it's just the reality. So uh, I read an interesting statistic this last week that said that the uh, percentage of adults who participate in Halloween has skyrocketed over the last 20 years. And by the way, some of you are like, oh, hey, I like Halloween, stop judging me, okay, there's candy. It's I'm not judging, no, no, it's all good. I, I've, all good, I'm serious, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. Now, that's a conviction some people have, but that's a conviction, okay? But, but look, like 50% in 2005 of adults celebrated Halloween. Today, it's over, almost 75%, right? And Halloween's all about fear. It's like celebrating fear, kind of having fun at fear's expense, and it's spooky and all that. My point is, we're kind of comfortable with fear as a society. Every year, some of the highest grossing movies are horror movies, because as a society, we're like, yeah, I like creepy stuff. I like being afraid. We, we sort of get fear. We get it. And I would say that our society is becoming more and more dominated by fear. And I've got all kinds of statistics to back this up in terms of anxiety and worry and all that kind of stuff, but statistics are boring. Can we agree? So here's, here's a way that we can know that we as a society have become more dominated and controlled by fear. We've got our high school students with us today, all right? High school students, quick, like, raise your hands. I'm sorry to make you like, act like it's school. That is not all of you, but thank you for those that have participated. High school students, they're, they're in the room once a month with us. It's great. All right. Everyone but the high school students, I'm gonna save you guys, you participate in just a second. Those of us that are full-blown adults, question. How many of you growing up were told by your parents, go outside, go play, just be back by dark? Raise your hand if that was your sort of setup. Right, and if someone would have come to your house before dark and, and questioned your parents, hey, where are your children? They would have said, I don't know. <laughs> but don't worry, I told them to be back before dark. And people would have gone, that's reasonable, that's good. High school students, how many of you grew up being told by your parents, go, I don't care where you are, just be back by dark? <laughs> how many of you have Live 360 installed on your phone so your parents know where you are at every moment, 
every second of the day, all right? We don't need statistics. Here we are, bearing it out. Like, parents, some of you are like, oh, I love that growing up, you know, my parents would just be like, go and play, and I, they didn't know where I was. I was doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing, but they didn't know, and I just got back, and I, I acted like everything was good. But if I said that, would you do that with your kids? You're like, never, no. I have an app on my phone, I'm tracking them. I'm tracking them as we speak. And you might be thinking, hold on, the world's different than it was back then, and maybe you're right. Maybe you're right, maybe it is. And maybe we have reasonable things to be afraid of. I'm not saying that none of the fears are rational or reasonable, but what I'm saying is that we live in a society that is dominated by fear. And fear is a bad master. Like fear makes us foolish. It really, really does. Let me read a story, really quick story from 1 Samuel. There's a king named Saul, he's the first king of Israel. And things are going pretty well at the very beginning of his story, and then he messes up big time. And what seems like a really simple, understandable way, and it costs him. There's a prophet named Samuel, and Saul is about to go out and fight a battle, and they're the underdog in this battle. And Samuel tells Saul, do not go to battle until I return and I make a sacrifice to the Lord. That was their culture and their custom. But Samuel was late, he was late. And so Saul kind of took things into his own hands. Here's what it says in, in verse eight of 1 Samuel 13. Saul waited there for seven days as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him, but Samuel said, what is this you've done? And Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me and you didn't arrive when you said you would and the Philistines are at Michmash, they're ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. It's easy to read that and be like, well, I mean, come on, Samuel, God, like Saul was just doing his best. He's taking initiative. It's, it's actually a story of someone trying really hard to do the right thing. But if you, if you really see what's going on and you see this in, in Saul's life many different times, this plays out over and over again in his story. Saul is afraid. He sees his men slipping away and he's worried about it. And he makes a decision based out of fear. He's like, oh no, if, if I don't do this, the men are gonna slip away, more of them are gonna leave, we're never gonna win this battle. And Saul repeats this over and over again. He gets afraid of what people think about him, so he responds appropriately or inappropriately, and it all goes terribly wrong. He makes a decision out of fear, and when you're a leader, you can't make decisions out of fear. How many of us would say the best decisions I've ever made in my life, I made when I was afraid? How about the worst? Yeah, it's easy to make. No one, no one actually believes that fear leads to wisdom, to great decisions, that, oh, I'm just gonna live my life by fear, let fear be the filter that everything runs through, and everything's gonna be great. No one actually believes that, and yet, so many people allow fear to be the primary filter that they make all their decisions through. Why did you do that? Because I was afraid that if I didn't, 
Why did you go this way instead of that way? Because I was afraid that if I went that way, this might happen. Fear ends up being this dominating force in our lives. And we're all very familiar with it. All of us can think about moments in our lives where we felt genuine, true fear. I don't wanna, I don't wanna bring up any trauma from the past right now, but let's do a little experiment. I want you to try right now to think back to the first moment you felt really afraid. And if it's like, whoa, that's a really traumatic experience for my life, then go, nope, stuff that away, pray through that later, and find a memory of an early fear that you can look back on and go, that was kind of silly. Mine is really easy. I have an older brother who's eight years older than me, and he's my half-brother. He only came over once every other weekend, right? So we had joint custody. Every other weekend, I went from being an only child to having an older brother and sister come and spend two days with me, and he was eight years older than me. When I was seven, he was 15. Do you have any idea how cool a 15-year-old is to a seven-year-old? Like, he wasn't even cool. He's not cool. He never has been cool. And I'm, I'm okay if he hears this, but like at seven, he was awesome. And so when my brother came, it was like, I mean, I was more excited about my brother coming every other weekend than I was about anything. And when he showed up, he'd always bring movies with him. I don't think my parents knew this. And they let me stay up late at night and hang out with him. And I would stay up as late as I could possibly, I mean, as long as I could go, I'm up with him. And when my parents would go to bed, we'd go down to the basement and he'd take out a VHS tape, pop it in the VCR, Turns out it was only half rewound, so we'd rewind it. And then we start the movie. And I have a few, two memories, two movies that are like burned into my memory forever, watching with him in the basement late at night. One was Predator. I was seven years old. <laughs> movie was awesome. Like, is, is it appropriate for a seven-year-old? No. Is it appropriate for a 15-year-old? Probably not. But it was cool. And I have like a childish nostalgia for the movie Predator, where some children are like Sesame Street. I'm like, Predator. That's... <laughs> It, the 80s were different, I'm not recommending this, I'm just being honest, that was my childhood. The other one that I remember clearly, I don't know which one it was, it doesn't really matter, it was one of the Freddy movies. I was seven years old, and my brother brought home a Freddy movie, and I have a distinct memory of sitting next to him on a couch and wanting to cry, <laughs> but not, because 15-year-old brother, I will not cry in front of him. I remember him laughing at moments that were like terrifying to me. And then me just like trying to laugh along, but you know that whole like, you're laughing and crying at the same time thing? Like I was doing that. Like he's like, I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, why is this on, you know? <laughs> and in the Freddy movies, I'm not trying to make you watch the Freddy movies, they're horrible, don't watch those, but like he gets you in your dreams. So I remember going to bed that night and being like, I don't wanna close my eyes, I was so scared. I was seven years old, so afraid. Fear hits us at a young age, it always does. You know, by the time we're five, six years old, we are, we are good at imagining all kinds of things to be afraid of. And if we're not careful, and let's be honest, if we just live a normal life, that doesn't really change. We just have more things to be afraid of. And honestly, the things that we're afraid of tend to be more reasonable. It's not so much monsters in the closet anymore. It's things that really might happen to us because we saw it happen to them. But fear is still a bad master. It, it leads us to foolishness. We make poor decisions when we're afraid. We limit ourselves so many times. We miss out on all kinds of things in life because I, I won't do that because I'm just afraid. And we are not meant to live in fear. God speaks about fear a lot in the scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse seven. God has not given us a spirit of fear 
and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Joshua 1.9, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41, verse 10, don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Time and time again, God tells us in scripture, don't be afraid. Whatever you're afraid of, even if it's reasonable, even if it's likely, God would say, no, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And that's so frustrating. Isn't it frustrating when someone just tells you, don't? Like, if you're afraid, don't be. Oh, okay, thank you. That was very helpful. I'm so worried about this. Well, you shouldn't be. Great, now I'm not. Like, that's not how it works. Sometimes it almost seems like God doesn't understand fear, like he doesn't get us. Because there's situations in scripture where people should be afraid and God still says don't. Joshua, we just read from Joshua, little verse, Joshua chapter one. Dude, the situation Joshua's in is crazy. He's about to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land with all of the Israelites and they're gonna have to fight wars, battles against actual armies and they're not like an actual army. And he's gotta step into the shoes of Moses to lead the people and I don't know if you've ever had to replace someone who's kind of a big deal. It's hard to be the guy after the guy. But try to follow Moses. Like Moses, here we are 3,000 years later and we know who Moses is, right? That tells you how good of a leader Moses was. He's got a lot to be afraid of and God's like, don't be afraid. Just don't. Take a story like what we see in, in Mark chapter four. Jesus is on a boat with his disciples. It says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat. They started out leaving crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Now Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? And the answer is so obvious because we thought we were gonna die, right? Like it seems like he doesn't even understand. Like, Here's Jesus asleep. Can you imagine asleep in a boat with his head on a cushion? I love that detail. Like he is enjoying his nap. And the disciples are about to drown. The boat is filling with water. And Jesus is like, why are you guys afraid? It's like if your children woke you up because the house was on fire. And you just got up and were like, why are you guys worried? You know, it's just a little fire. Like that's what's happening. Jesus says, why are you afraid? And I love how this one ends. It ends and, and it says, uh, he says, why do you have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other, even the wind and waves obey him. Now they're just afraid of him, right? <laughs> In those moments, it just seems sometimes like God doesn't even understand our fear. But that's not the case. God gets fear. He gets us but he just sees everything so differently. And the opportunity that we have this year, at the outset of a year, the guys, let's be honest, like it's gonna be a crazy year. I've joked about this the last few weeks and as a church, we're actually really committed to being about Jesus and not religion and also Jesus, not politics. And so I joked last week and I, I think I may have, I hope I didn't, have, I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> but because, I, because honestly, and I say this, 
I tell jokes, and if jokes offend, it's just jokes. It's just a joke. If someone ever came to me and said, hey, that joke offended me, I'm like, it's a joke. And so I, I said, hey, let's think about all the things we could be afraid of. It's an election year. Like, guys, Donald Trump might be our next president. And a few people laughed. And then I, the, the joke was that was a setup for then I said, guys, think about this. Joe Biden could still be our president. And then everyone laughed. But at first they were nervous because like, whoa, is he getting political? And I wasn't. My point was whichever one wins, it's all a little ridiculous. Can we just admit it? It's all a little silly. It's crazy. And it's going to be crazy. And half the country will be like, it's all over. And the other half of the country will be like, it's all over. And it doesn't matter the outcome. Half the country will be like, it's, we're doomed. And maybe we are. There's so many things to be afraid of. But what if this year you didn't get bothered by fear at all? What if this year... No matter what happens, no matter which candidate wins, no matter how things go in your life, no matter your circumstances, no matter what happens with your health, your finances, your children, you name it, your job, what if no matter what happens, you could actually have the perspective of Jesus and you could be in a situation like that, the boat's about to sink and you're like, why would I be afraid? That's possible. So let's explore that. And I got three words and this is gonna be so like pastory because they all begin with the same letter. So just, it's cheesy, but it's helpful for remembering things, okay? It's a literary device called alliteration and it works. So here's what we're gonna look at. Power, perspective, and presence. Power, perspective, and presence. Again, it's cheesy, but you'll remember at least one or two of those. If we could understand the power of our God, we would be so much less afraid. And it's just, it's really easy to underestimate his power. I do it all the time. One of my favorite stories, and guys, I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit in the back. There's a story in Matthew, I believe it's chapter, guys, I actually don't have it in my notes here. So uh, it's the story of a man who comes to Jesus to have his son healed, okay? And uh, guys, can you put that one up? I think it's, which, uh, just put it up. It's where he goes and says, hey, can you heal my son? Here we go. Boom, look at that. Hey, let's all hear it for the guys in the back reading my mind. And it wasn't even in Matthew, it's in Mark. That's how good they are. One of the things I used to be afraid of was looking stupid on stage. But if you are stupid on stage enough times, which I have definitely cleared that quota, you're not afraid of it anymore. All right, so here we go. Mark chapter nine, here's the setup. This man brings his son to Jesus and his son is deeply troubled. And he's brought his son to Jesus out of desperation because he's heard that Jesus can heal him because Jesus is healing people left and right. And he says to Jesus, heal my son if you can. And I love how Jesus responds. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. That's what I've taught on this many times because it's one of my favorite interactions in all of scripture because this guy says, I believe in you, Jesus, kind of. How many of us can relate to that? Like, like I believe, I mean, here we are at church. Oh, some of you are just much better Christians than, than me. But no, it's just, it's human nature. Even if God shows up in a big way in your life and he rescues you and something changes and you're like, wow, God, you're real and you saved me from this. Then a year or two later, you're in another situation. You're like, God, I don't know if you're gonna pull through, right? A part of that is because we have this weird it's not weird, it's the wrong word. We have this idea that the way God proves that he loves us is by constantly rescuing us from hard situations. That's how God proves his love for us, by making sure that life never goes wrong. 
that is not how God shows his love to us. If that's how God shows his love to us, then almost everyone we read about in the Bible was not loved by God because they all went through incredibly hard things. Even Jesus, the very son of God, went through incredibly hard things. God's love is not revealed to us by God constantly rescuing us from hard situations. But we think about that because we don't wanna go through hard situations. We think like that. That's normal. And so when something happens in our life and it's really scary, like legitimately scary, it's normal for us, even though we're passionate about Jesus, to be like, Lord, I know you can do something. I trust in your power. I also don't. And I love how honest that man was. And Jesus responds by saying, well, come back whenever your faith is full and I'll heal your son. No, he doesn't. Some of you don't know that story. You're like, really? That doesn't sound like Jesus. This is why you gotta read the Bible. You would have known. No, Jesus says, he honors this man. He says, bring me your son and he heals him. Jesus once said that faith, as small as a mustard seed, could move mountains. Mustard seeds are really small. Jesus was thinking of the smallest thing he could think of. This man didn't have a lot of faith. He had a little bit of faith, but he had a little bit of faith in the right person. That's why faith as small as a mustard seed is powerful, because it is better to have a little bit of faith in a big God than have a lot of faith in a little God. And this world offers us all kinds of little gods, our government, right, our finances, our, our jobs, our, our circumstances, right, the people around us. Those are great blessings and things, but if we make those our gods, meaning if we make those the things that we really put our faith in and we're trusting those things to keep us safe, to keep us okay when life is hard, you might have a lot of faith in that, but that's not gonna hold up. Better to have a little faith in God, in Jesus, because Jesus has real power. I have a unique opportunity in this role to be with people in really hard situations. And they don't always go the way people would like them to go. We're gonna get to that next. But I can tell you, I have seen God come through in ways that the only explanation is God so many times that I do not need to be convinced of his power. I believe in his power. The question is, do I trust that his power would ever be used for my benefit? That's where I struggle sometimes. Right? The disciples in the boat, they woke Jesus up for a reason. They trusted his power, but the accusation they made was, don't you care? Don't you care that we're gonna die? They didn't trust his level of love and care for them. And so the number one way that we combat fear is we trust in the power of our God. We trust that he is powerful enough to say to a storm, stop, and it stops. And he can do that in our lives too. He doesn't always, but he can. We just have to trust in that power and trust that that power, he loves us enough that he would use that for us. And the disciples got to learn that that day. Let's move on. Because it's not just about power. Like God is not a vending machine, right? It's not like every time we have a problem in life, we just go and we push, we push the button and we get out what we need and there's the power and, and we're good. That's not how it works because sometimes, no matter how hard you pray, no matter how much you hope that things will go one way, they go another way. And in those moments, we need something more than just power, we need perspective. Fear in many ways is all about perspective. And we know this because when we have children, those of us who have kids, or if you have younger siblings or you can just remember being a child, 
There's things that kids are afraid of that are silly. And it's actually hard for you to have compassion for their fear because from your perspective, the fear doesn't make any sense. Like, it's like if you have a kid, this is a classic example. If you have a kid and they're afraid of the dark, like, you, you know that the dark is, is a good thing. Like, it's a good thing because it's gonna help you sleep. Like, how many of you love dark at night? Like, as dark as it can possibly be. Like, if there's a light that comes on, I know this because my, my wife, and I don't even know if she's in the room, so I can tell stories when Megan's busy in other places. I think she's in one of the kids' areas today. Ha. So, anyone in a marriage where your spouse wants to go to bed like way earlier than you do, just on their body clock? Okay, let's feel each other's pain for a minute. It's hard. Because you don't wanna go to bed, but then they're like, please come to bed, please. And you're like, ah, oh, okay. So I do this thing where I just lay there and I kind of wait till it seems like Megan's asleep. And then I lean over and I get my iPad. And I'm gonna start watching some sports highlights. It's great. But every once in a while, I forget how bright I have the screen because I bring the brightness all the way down for this, you know, deception. And, you know, and like every once in a while, I'll turn it on. It's just like, boom. And she'll, it's bright enough that she'll be facing the other direction, but it like bounces off the wall and hits her. And she's like, what are you doing? And it's like scary. And, you know, like light bothers her. When we go to bed at night, we want it to be as dark as possible. If you leave a certain light on in our house, somehow it bounces off our floor and it goes like under our door, right into our eyeballs. We want it to be as dark as possible. But our kids, I mean, dark is scary when you're really young. And so I remember each of my kids having that moment where it was like, you know, don't turn the lights off, don't turn the lights off. And I had to be like, this is silly. This is just the dark. You have a different perspective as a parent and you recognize that the thing that your kids maybe are afraid of aren't scary at all. I think sometimes God's like that just with everything, even death. You know, for us, it's like, no, please, please, this is the most terrifying thing I can imagine, and, and please, please, and God, he's like, I love you, it's not a big deal. I mean, everything is like that to God. God's perspective is just different, and Jesus shows us this. There's so many different times where Jesus gives us a different perspective. Like Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, great example of this because it's one of those things that Jesus said that I think is meant to bring comfort, but then it kind of doesn't. He says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. And that's a very nice thing to read, right? Don't be afraid of people who, who can't kill your soul. So what, they can kill your body. But then he goes on. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Like that's what he says. Don't be afraid of people. All they can do is kill your body. Be afraid of God. He can kill your body and your soul. Like that's like, what? But what Jesus is doing there is he's, he's shifting our perspective. He's saying all the things that we tend to be afraid of, it's silliness from God's perspective. He has compassion on us and knows that it's not silly from our perspective. Just like when my kids are afraid of the dark, I have to have compassion and go from what they see, it's terrifying. But if we could see what God sees, we wouldn't be afraid. If we could see what God sees, so many situations that we go through in terror, God would be like, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna be fine. And we need that perspective. We need to have an eternal perspective. And when I get to spend time with people who have an eternal perspective, it blows my mind, it challenges me greatly. Because oftentimes I don't. Oftentimes all I can see is the worst possible situation. The worst possible bearing out of whatever's happening but with an eternal perspective, like Jesus has, 
so much of this, it, it just doesn't matter that much. We need to trust in God's power. We also need to trust in God's perspective that even if some of the worst things we can imagine happen, it will not be the end of us. And that brings us to the final. It's presence. God has power. We need his perspective. But what we actually need more than anything else, it's his presence. I wanna go to Matthew chapter 14. This is another uh, Jesus on some water, disciples freaking out kind of a situation. This happened multiple times. It says, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, like again, fear. They get afraid a lot. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. And that's silly, but also, is it? I mean, there's a guy walking on water toward you. What's your first thought? Like, well, yeah, you know that because you know the story. But if you just had a buddy named Todd, I don't think you'd be like, that's just probably Todd walking on the water coming toward me, you know? I'm just teasing you. That's what happens when you speak out in church. All right, here we go. But Jesus spoke to them at once. And here's one of those things. Don't be afraid. Another one of those. Just don't. Whatever you do, don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. Why? I'm here. Let that hit you. I am here. And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yeah, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat. And man, the courage that must have taken. I mean, come on. And he walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified. And he began to sink, save me, Lord, and he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And again, that's one of those obvious answers. Like, duh, I'm on water, there's wind, there's waves, it's terrifying. That's why I doubted you. I love that story, I've always loved that story. It's one of the best stories. A good buddy of mine named Scott Kays. Scott's an awesome part of our church. He said something one time that blew my mind about that story. He said, how do you think they got back in the boat? I never thought of that before. I was like, I don't know. Part of me thinks maybe Jesus sort of just drugged Peter behind him, you know? <laughs> Peter's like getting waterboarded as Jesus drags him. He's like, ah! Right? <laughs> Peter probably deserved that. But, you know, Scott said something, and I just remember, like, it's played in my mind so many times. He's like, I think... Jesus lifted Peter out of the water and they walked together back onto the boat. That's pretty cool to think about. You know, we find ourselves in that exact situation all the time where we feel like at any moment we could sink and there's all kinds of things happening around us. And if we stop and we look at those things and that's where our focus is, we have every reason to be afraid. And the easiest thing in those moments is to forget about who's right in front of us. It is Jesus Christ. He's here. He's with us. So many of the scriptures that we read about fear and those commands not to be afraid, it all has to do with the presence of God. Go back to Joshua chapter one, verse nine. We read this earlier. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's with you. 
Isaiah 41.10, read this earlier. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is probably the most famous psalm. And in it, it says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, some classic translations say, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of what? Death. I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. You're with me. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says this right before he returns to heaven. He says, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He gives us his spirit to be with us. It may not always feel like it. Sometimes it might seem like God is asleep at the back of the boat. It may. We're going through hard times and it can, we can wonder, is God even paying attention? Does he even care? Is he even here? Or if he is, is he asleep? But he's not, he's there. He's there. He's with us and he's promised to be with us. Whatever you go through this year, whatever life throws at you this year, I know people right now going through very hard situations, people that I love deeply. And I'm so sorry for the circumstances. But I know that the power and the perspective and the presence of God will get you through it. Some of us right now, life is going great, nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be worried about. But that can change fast. And when those things come up, it's the power, the perspective, and the presence of God. If your trust is in that, if your trust is in God's power, if your trust is in God's perspective when his power doesn't seem to be doing what you think it ought to be doing, and if your trust ultimately is in his presence, that no matter what you go through, no matter how hard it is, he is there. You are not alone, I'm telling you. Life can throw whatever it wants at you. You're gonna be fine. Whatever you do this year, don't be afraid. With that said, we're gonna, we're gonna take Lord's Supper. And if you're new, we take this little meal every Sunday. And there's tables at the back. You can go grab a little cup with bread and juice in it. And some of you grew up in church and this is a normal thing. Some of you, maybe you're here for the first time, you're like, what is this? It's a, it's a little ritual. Honestly, it is a ritual that Jesus himself led with his disciples and friends right before he went to the cross. And he, he tells us to do the same. And for thousands of years, this is something that Jesus' followers, Christians, have done to remember Jesus by. And as I think about this in the context of, of what we've just talked about, I think about this in the context of, of fear, it's a reminder to me that almost everything that we can imagine, like the worst things, I mean, what if I had to go through that? Almost none of the things we could ever imagine, no matter how bad they are, could ever compare to what Jesus went through when he went to the cross. So many of the things that we're most afraid of, Jesus himself experienced, and honestly, to a level that we couldn't even imagine. So when we take this meal together, we remember that we actually have a God who understands fear very well. Jesus prayed in the garden before he was arrested. Lord, if there's any other way, he was praying to God the Father. Is there any other way? Is there any way for me to avoid the cross? If there is, I, I'm open to it. And he said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And he went and he died on the cross for us. So when we take this meal, we remember what Jesus went through to save us from our sins, to forgive us for all of our mistakes. And we understand that when you go through something like that, you get fear. So he understands and he has compassion. And when we take this meal together, we're joined together with him in a, a really powerful way. And it's good. So let's take the bread. And let's thank him for the bread. 
Father God, we thank you for this, this piece of bread. We thank you, Lord, for what it represents. Lord, this represents your body. And your body was, was beaten, it was broken, it was nailed to a cross for our benefit, for our sake, to save us. And Jesus, I can't even imagine what that must, must have been like, must have felt like. But you went through that. And I know that that means that you understand pain, you understand injustice and betrayal, you understand all the things that we tend to live our lives in fear of. And you overcame it. Give us faith that you'll overcome it in our lives as well. Let's take the bread. Let's pray for the juice. Lord, we thank you for this juice. We thank you for what it represents, your blood spilled. You died for us. You died to save us from our sins, but to also start within us an entirely new life, a whole new perspective on life. A life, Lord, that is empowered by you because you give us your spirit. And your spirit is not a spirit of fear, but it's a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Help us have that as we go about our week, as we go about our year, Lord. We thank you. Let's take the juice.